Romans chapter 8, verse 11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, He lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your, everybody say my, mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. I love this verse because here's what Paul is saying. The same spirit of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead will look at dead things in your life and bring them back from the dead and raise them up again just as Jesus came out of the tomb. That's good news for you and I. Why don't we begin today with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for your presence that's here today. I love you so much. I'm so grateful that you sent your son Jesus to die for us, that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. Open our hearts, our minds, and our, hear, and our ears to hear from you and to be challenged by the power of your word. God, let my words not be mere words of man's wisdom, but lace them with the power of the Holy Spirit and the demonstration of your son, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. And the people said, amen, amen. Amen. You know, at Easter, we are not just celebrating a collection of teachings. We're not even just celebrating a random man that did some amazing things while he lived. We're not just celebrating an idea, but we are celebrating an event that changed history. We're celebrating a day when when over 2,000 years ago, everything in our world before then and after then changed. And for the last 2,000 years, countless people have given their lives over to a God whom they believed and I believed died on a cross and then was resurrected three days later. The thing is that the resurrection is a lot to believe. Just consider for a moment that we are asking you, you are being asked by God to buy in to a story from 2,000 years ago that a man died and crucified. This is fact. This is history. We know there was a man named Jesus. We know that he was crucified around 30 to 33 AD. This is historically documented. It's a historical fact. Many religions recognize Jesus as a man, maybe even a prophet, but at least just a good teacher. But then We have to believe that he went into a grave and he was not in a coma. He was not sleeping. He was completely dead for three days. And then somehow, miraculously, he was raised to life again. And this is the crux of Christianity. You see, it's not the cross that separates Jesus from Muhammad. It's the resurrection. It's not the cross that separates Jesus from every other God and every other prophet. It is the resurrection that separates Jesus and separates Christianity. In the time of Jesus' death and his resurrection, between his death and his resurrection, everything was in question, though. For those three days, people were wondering, had Jesus lied? For he had promised so many things, and he had said that he was the Messiah. But the truth is, there were many walking around claiming to be the Messiah. He had done miracles. He had upset the religious leaders. He had taught many things. He had even claimed to be God. But if Jesus had died and stayed dead, then nothing Jesus said was true. I want you to consider this with me. If Jesus was claiming to be God and all the other things he said 
Uh, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. If Jesus had stayed dead, then everything he claimed would be a lie. He said, I'm going to die and be resurrected for th- after three days. But if he had lied about that, he lied about everything. If that were the case, then billions of people over the last 2,000 years have been deceived. Millions have given their lives for the sake of a lie. Trillions and trillions of dollars have been wasted on the biggest scam in human history. But that's only if the resurrection didn't happen. On the flip side, if he was resurrected, and if it did really happen, if you're watching at home, I want you to know, then everything that Jesus said is absolutely true. If he went into the grave and came out three days later and then ascended into the Father like he said that he would, then everything Jesus said was true. And when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me, that is the only way to get through Jesus, to get to God, is through Jesus. The only way to heaven is not another route. It is only through Jesus if the resurrection is true but we have to buy into this it happened 2,000 years ago there was no CNN there was no Fox News there was no MSNBC there was no one with cameras in their pocket to record the event there was no one around there were no live cameras on Facebook to watch the tomb in case he was resurrected like we're watching and waiting for a baby giraffe Some of you waited for weeks and still missed it. There was none of that. So how is it that we can believe? This is an important question that I'm going to attempt to answer today. You see, the short answer is to say, well, I believe in the resurrection because the Bible says so. That's a a weak answer. You see, what happened in history was there were all these people that were living in the time of Jesus his disciples, his followers, some that came along immediately after, after the resurrection. And years later, they went back and they wrote about what they had seen and what they heard. So they gave their accounts. And so they would send letters or they would send uh, their stories about Jesus. And they would send them from place to place to place, from church to church, so that others would believe in God. They wrote it down as if we would put, put something out on the internet or write an article in a magazine so that others would believe it. That's what was happening. But it wasn't until over 100 years later that there was the first canon, which was when people got together and took a collection of these writings and put them in a booklet and called it, well, this is our scripture. That didn't happen for over 100 years. And it was several hundred years before the final canon took place and where they put all the scriptures that we have in the New Testament, they put it together, they all agreed upon it, they prayed over it, they authenticated everything, and they put it together, they called it the New Testament. This was a collection of Christian writings about things that had happened when Jesus was alive and in the early church shortly thereafter. They put them together. But that wasn't until hundreds of years. Then they had to go back and they had to deal with the Old Testament. What is the Old Testament? They actually took the Jewish scriptures, the law, the prophets, major prophets, minor prophets, the historical books, the poet, poetic books. They put all these together and they called them the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. Now, this upset many of the Jews uh, in the day and even does today because that's their writings. But we took them, called it the Old Testament. Then we put the New Testament with it, put a le- leather cover around it, and we call it 
the Bible. But understand, I don't believe in the resurrection just because the Bible says. Now, that would be enough for me, but for many people, it's not. Because the Bible wasn't actually put together for a couple of hundred years after the resurrection occurred. Why do I believe in the resurrection? I believe in the resurrection because the people who wrote these things, the eyewitnesses, saw it happen and saw Jesus. In fact, Scripture reports to us that in the 40 days following the, the Sunday morning of the resurrection, over 500 people saw Jesus. And they began to write their stories. You see, people didn't start believing in the resurrection once the Bible was put together. They started believing in the resurrection the morning the resurrection took place. They started believing in it because they saw Jesus with their own eyes. They started believing in it because they saw the empty tomb. And that's why they started believing. So I believe not just because the Bible says, but because there were hundreds of eyewitnesses. Now, you could go to men like Matthew, who was a follower of Jesus, a disciple, and you could go to Dr. Luke, who seemed to be there, and you could go to John, who was one of Jesus' closest disciples, and you could write off their story. Why could I write off their story? Well, guys like Peter and James and John, they had a lot to lose. Consider, they had given their entire life up to follow Jesus. They had faced ridicule, they had left their businesses, their homes, they had left their families. Uh, and they would go back and visit them, but they were separated from their families while they were doing this great work with Jesus. And they did all that. Suddenly, Jesus is dead. You've got to know that if Jesus was a lie, then everything that they had given their life to was a lie. All of their critics were correct, and everything they believed was wrong. So these disciples, they had a lot to lose. So let's set them aside for a minute. I, I want to pose to you two more men. Whose, whose stories really touch my life. One of them, his name is James. Not James that was a disciple of Jesus. You often hear of Peter, James, and John, the three closest disciples to Jesus. That's not the James I'm talking about. I'm talking about James, the brother of Jesus. You say, well, Brandon, why do you care what the brother of Jesus says? Why does that help you? Well, let me ask you this question. If you have a brother or a sister in your life, you have a sibling, and they walked in one day, and they declared to you, I am the son or daughter of God. Not only that, I am God in the flesh. You had, they would have to get their typical Jesus pose that you see in the pictures, right? And they lift their head up really high, and they say, I am God. How crazy would you think they are? That you would think that they have lost their mind. Why do I know that? Because I can tell you, I have two sisters. They both love me to death, and they think I'm wonderful because I am. But if I walked in, my sister is one of our campus pastors here. Uh, if I walked in and I got up here on a Sunday morning and I said to her, Hey, Pastor Kira, I just want you to know I'm the Messiah, I am God. She would be the first one laughing at me and out the door. You wouldn't have to wonder what to do because she would be gone, right? And Jesus' brothers thought the exact same thing. We study in the book of John chapter 7 verse 5 and also in the book of Mark chapter 3 verse 21 where they said, Jesus, he is out of his mind. They said, he's not thinking straight. 
His brothers never believed in Jesus. I mean, honestly, would you? You grew up together. You got whippings together. You ate dinner together. You got in trouble together. Y'all didn't get whippings at your house? Okay, I did. They, were, they lived in the same house. You can't be the son of God because you are my brother. They thought he was crazy. John never believed in Jesus. Jesus goes to the cross. James did not believe in Jesus. He's hanging on the cross. He's dying. Now, he was sad for his brother because even though he thought he was out of his mind, he loved his brother. And no one wants to see their brother go through what Jesus went through. But he did not believe that he was the son of God. And when he went into the grave, James was like, you know, I told you. But when Jesus was resurrected, the Bible tells us that he made a special appearance to his brother James. And in that moment, everything in James's life changed. When he saw Jesus with his own eyes, everything he had doubted went away. Every question that he had was answered. And suddenly he recognized that Jesus really was who he said he was. James became one of the leaders of the early church. In fact, he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. You often find him standing up when they were trying to discover what to do as the church was growing and moving. They were trying to discover what to do. And you find James standing up in the middle, being the mediator and making the final declaration. This is James, the brother of Jesus, who never believed in him until he saw him resurrected. They said of James that his knees were like the knees of a camel because he spent so many hours every day on his knees in prayer. It was James who wrote to us in his letter when he said, If there are any sick among you, let, you, let them call for the elders of the church. Let them pray the prayer of faith and they will be healed. That was James who didn't believe but now believed. At the end of his life, the religious leaders grabbed him and they took him up to the top of the temple and they hung him over the side and they said to him, as people were gathered around, ready to stone him and, and ready to kill him, they were all gathered looking up and they said, James, you will either denounce Jesus as the Christ and the Messiah or we're going to throw you off uh, several stories off the top of the temple. James, instead of denouncing Jesus... He lifted his hands and he said, I believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ that we have all been waiting for. They threw him off. He falls several stories down. But when he landed, what would have killed most men did not kill James. Somehow, with his broken body, he climbs back up on those same knees that they said looked like camels that he had been through so long before. And in his pain, men began to stone him and throw rocks at him. And he looked up and he said these very familiar words that he had heard his brother say. He looked up as people were stoning him and he was about to die. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It, it was at that moment that a man took a club and hit him in the head so hard that it killed him instantly. You see, the question I have is, James, if you didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, why would you be willing to die for it? I've got to tell you that there are a lot of things that I thought I saw in my life. There are a lot of things that I think, but I am not willing to die for them. But James believed it so much 
that he gave his life. Let me give you another story. A man by the name of Paul, he was an educated man. He was well off. He, he knew he was a man of authority. In fact, after the resurrection, his job was to go around throughout Israel seeking out followers of the way, followers of Christ. They weren't called Christians quite yet. And he went and he was supposed to seek them out. And if they did not denounce Jesus as the Christ, he was supposed to stone them to death. You can read in the book of Acts where the first martyr for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a young man named Stephen, was stoned to death. And it was Paul who was giving the orders. Paul was the enemy of Christ. Paul was the enemy of all followers of Jesus. And yet one day he was going down a road. And a light shone down on him so bright. And he began to hear from God. And he had an encounter with God. So he goes and he talks to some Christians. He talks to the, the apostles of the day. Everything in his life is turned around. And now, instead of hating Christians and trying to kill them, he becomes one of the biggest proponents of Christianity. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He brought the gospel. He brought salvation to the Gentiles. If you don't know what a Gentile is, it's everyone who's not a Jew. So if you're not a Jew in the room today, I want you to know that it is thanks to the Apostle Paul that we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only did he go around preaching, but he was stoned, he was whipped, he was beaten, he was thrown in jail on multiple times, and eventually the Roman Emperor Nero had his head cut off because he would not denounce Jesus. Now, how is it that the enemy of Christ, the enemy of Jesus and all Christians went from killing them to believing them and giving his life for them? It happened because he saw things that changed his life forever. So when I believe in the resurrection, it isn't just because the Bible says so, though that would be enough for me because I believe the Bible from cover to cover and every word in it, but that isn't enough for everyone. I believe it because of the men and women who didn't believe, but after they saw Jesus in his resurrected form, not only believed, but they were willing to give their lives for it. And that's why I believe in the resurrection. But this great event as wonderful as it was, as amazing as it is, what does it mean to us? How does it impact us? How does it affect us? And why did he have to stay dead for three days? Why not just die and come right back? Why three days? Well, let me attempt to answer that question. First, we know he had to stay three days because Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 says these words. One day, some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. Jesus replied, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. You remember Jonah that was in the belly of a whale for three days? Here's what he says. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man, that's what Jesus called himself, be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Here's what he's saying. I'm going to die for three days and three nights. So Jesus had to stay dead for three days and three nights. Why did it matter? Why did he even prophesy that? I believe 
that when you study scripture, God is always working a plan. He's always doing something. There are systems and there are patterns in the word of God. And if we can find them out, we might learn something about what God is trying to do for us. Check out this verse with me in 1 Peter, if you will. Chapter 2, verse 21. This is the kind of life you've been invited into. The kind of life that Christ lived. He suffered everything that came his way so that you would know it could be done. Here's what I want you to know. Whatever you're going through in your life, Jesus went through what he did so you would know that you can get through it too. If you're suffering today and you're struggling today, Jesus wants you to know I made it and you can too. And also, you would know how to do it. Watch this. Step by step. So Jesus was in the grave for three days, and he did it so that we could know that there is a step-by-step process. Why do I find this so encouraging? Because, and, and, and I'm going to share, you, share with you the process in a moment, but if I can understand where I am in the process, I might can have hope that there is a process and I can make it out. You see, if you feel like you've been stuck forever, what's the point? What's the hope? There is no hope, but if you know that there's a process and there's something good happening on the other side, then maybe I can stick this thing out. Most most of us believe that Jesus was crucified on a Friday. That's why we celebrate Good Friday. Now, you can study on your own. I'm not sure that that's actually the case. Uh, He was probably crucified on a a Thursday afternoon, but that's another subject for a different different day. If you like to study and you like to read, go look it up. But for the purpose of our sermon today, just to show you the step-by-step process and give us something to identify, can can we talk like he was, uh, can we tell that he was crucified on Friday and was resurrected on Sunday? Would that be okay with everyone? Friday. Friday was the day of pain. Friday was the day where Jesus went to the whipping post and they took the cat of nine tails and they whipped him and whipped him and whipped him. And and then they took another whip, a, a rod, and they beat him with a rod. They took a crown of thorns and they placed it on his head and shoved it down into his scalp. scalp. They pulled the, the, his beard from his face. They punched him with his fist. They put a, cross, a beam across his shoulders and forced him in his bloody state to carry it all the way up the road to Calvary. And then they hung him on a cross. How did they hang him? They hung him by putting nails in his hands and in his feet. And they hung him there for six hours until he died. Can we agree that Friday was a day of pain. First of all, physical pain, obviously. First kind of pain that that Jesus experienced was physical pain. He went through the most excruciating torture and crucifixion that man could devise at that time and still keep him alive. He went through physical pain. I want you to know today that if you are in physical pain, if you're suffering from disease in your body or, or something's going on in your body and you have physical pain, I want you to know that Jesus can relate to where you are. Second kind of pain that Jesus felt, though, was, was not just that. He understood emotional pain. You see, the Bible says that he was uh, despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus knew what it was like for his emotions to be hurt, to be rejected, to have grief. He knew what these things were like. He was a man of sorrows. 
He was a man whose soul was afflicted because he had been hurt. He had been rejected. He had been he understand emotional pain. If you're here today and you're dealing with emotional pain of any kind and you're struggling, maybe you're dealing with depression, maybe you're dealing with anxiety, I want you to know that Jesus can relate to where you are. He went through it. The third type of pain is relational pain. Relational pain. I already told you about Jesus' brothers, how they thought he was crazy, how they thought he was out of his mind. I don't know if you've ever been rejected by those closest to you. You know, we all have that crazy person in our family. You've got the crazy person in your family? Nod your head at me if you do. Okay, for those that are not nodding your head, if you don't know who the crazy person is, it might be you. Jesus knew what it was like to be rejected by his brothers. He knew what it was like to be rejected by his family. He knew what it was like to be rejected by those closest to him. Jesus knew what it was like for all the single people. Jesus knows where you are. He knew what it was like to be, uh, to have to live single and deal with the temptations of a single person and look around and everybody's happily married around you and you're all alone, single by yourself. I don't want you to raise your hand right now. I just want you to know that if you're single in the room, Jesus can relate to where you are. Somebody said, well, Jesus can't relate to the pain of being married. (laughs) Well, actually, the Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. And not only can Jesus relate to being married, he can relate to being cheated on. He can relate to being left behind. Let me ask you this question. You, as the bride of Christ, as the church of the Lord Jesus, have you ever cheated on God? He knows the heartbreak that can go along, the pain that can go along with trying to make a marital relationship work. Wherever you are, whatever your relationships are like, if you're going through relational pain, I want you to know that Jesus can relate to where you are. And here's the good news. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Here's what I want you to know. God may not be causing your pain, but he is causing all of the pain to work together for your good. He is bringing purpose to your pain. If you're struggling with with the pain of disease or the pain of divorce or the pain of depression, I want you to know that God is bringing purpose and somehow he's going to work in you and through you. And not only is he going to bring you out of that, but through you, he's going to use your life as a testimony to share his goodness with the people around you, that his glory will shine through you. And people will say, how did you make it through? I'm struggling. You can look to get say it was only by the grace of God and the goodness of God. I want you to know, whoever you are, wherever you are watching today, if you're dealing with the pain of any of these things, relational, emotional, or physical pain, Jesus can relate, and he's bringing purpose to your pain. Can I get an amen this morning? Now, that was Friday. Friday was a day of pain, but Saturday was a day of confusion. Understand that everything that they had believed was now in doubt. They were confused. They didn't understand. And and when they had scattered and they were scared and they were confused, they began to doubt. And how many of you know confusion demands answers? I don't know about you, but when I'm confused about things, I need answers in my life. 
I have some ponderables, some things that I like to think about. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask and, and I'm going to take a look and I'm going to say, hey, Adam, I need you to pull up your shirt just a little bit. I want to know if you have a belly button. Think on it. Some of you at lunch today will be like, oh, I get it. Adam was created. No need for an umbilical cord. Y'all with me? Okay. How about this one? Why is it that the busiest and slowest hour of traffic in the entire day is called rush hour? I want to ask Noah, hey, Noah, you, you couldn't have swatted those two mosquitoes while you were on the ark? You would have. How many of you would have appreciated if Noah had just finished that right there? Oh, goodness. And the love bugs while you're at it, I can't keep them off of my car. How about this one? And we've got a lot of these in the church, so, so y'all don't be mad at me. But why is it? Why is it that the person who invests your money is called a broker? Broke. Er. If you're broker than me. I'm just kidding. Things, things when we don't know, when we get confused, they demand answers. And that's where the disciples were. They were doubting everything. They were confused. They didn't understand. Peter had left his family and his business to follow Jesus. Now Jesus was dead. It wasn't but just a few days before that the disciples were jockeying for position, trying to say who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom, who was going to be this, and who was going to have that position. And suddenly Jesus is dead, and everything that they had thought of seemed to be gone. Confusion led to doubt. Doubt led to wanting to give up, and it led to feeling all alone. They felt like Jesus had left them. And they forgot what Jesus said when he declared, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I want you to know today, if you're in a place of confusion, if you're in a day of confusion and doubt, you've been waiting a long time. You thought something was going to happen, but it hasn't happened. You thought God promised it, but it hasn't come through. You've been waiting on the promotion. You've been waiting on the husband. You've been waiting on the family. You've been waiting on the home. You've been waiting on a physical miracle, whatever it might be in your life. You've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and you're confused as to why God is not working in your life. I want you to know this promise. He has never left you. You're not alone. As far as you may think you are from God, just turn, and he is right there waiting on you. Can you imagine? They, they weren't expecting Jesus to be resurrected. They thought he was dead and gone for sure. Even though he had promised it and prophesied it, they forgot everything that he had said. So Sunday comes around. Friday was a day of pain. Saturday was a day of confusion. Sunday morning rolls around. Mary Magdalene. A woman who Jesus had rescued, forgiven, and changed her life. She goes to the tomb because she's going to finish preparing Jesus for the burial. As she arrives, the stone is rolled away. She looks inside, and Jesus' body is gone. What happened? She thought they had taken his body and stolen his body. So she races back to find Peter and John. And she, she, she runs back and he says, I don't know where his body is. They've taken it. Why? Nowhere in her mind was the thought that Jesus was resurrected. Peter and John race back. John beats Peter there. They go in. Jesus is gone. They return. And as Mary comes back to the tomb, She's standing there crying when suddenly two angels appear in the tomb. And she looks at them and they said to her, Woman, why, 
Why are you crying? What's going on? What's the problem? She said, they took him, and I don't know where they put him. Here she is standing at the door of the empty tomb. You see, there are moments in your life when nothing looks different, and yet everything has changed. And that's the kind of moment it was for Mary, and she didn't recognize it. This moment where everything, nothing looked different, and yet everything had changed. She thought he was dead. She had no idea that he was resurrected. And so standing at the door, she turns. She sees a man. She thinks it's the gardener. And he says, woman, what are you doing? Who are you looking for? Why are you crying? The gardener was not a gardener. It was Jesus. But she didn't even recognize him. She was so confused and lost so much hope that she didn't even recognize Jesus when he began speaking to her. And then all of a sudden, she says, just tell me where the body is and I'll go get it. And Jesus, in all of his love, he looked at her and he said her name, Mary. And when he said Mary, something came alive deep within her and her eyes were opened and she saw who Jesus really was. He was not a gardener, but he had been resurrected and everything changed and she realized that everything that Jesus had said was true. Everything that Jesus had promised was true. Everything that he had declared was true. It was real and it had just happened. I want you to know today, you have, may have been hearing Jesus speak to you days and days and weeks and weeks and you didn't recognize his voice but would you hear him today when he's calling out your name and he's saying I am here for you and every promise that I've spoken over you everything I've declared over your life will come to pass would you just turn back to me and have hope in me because I am resurrected and in me you too can have life it was all real. It was all true for Sunday is the day of resurrection. And your resurrection day is here and it's happening now. When he forgave her, she was really forgiven. When he healed, they were really healed. When he delivered, they were really delivered. He was really bringing salvation to all. Philippians 3, I gave up all that inferior stuff so that I could know Christ personally and experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his suffering and go all the way with him, even to death himself. That's what Paul said. I want to experience it for myself. Romans 8, we started here. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living in you. I want you to know this. The ultimate proof of the resurrection is not just that someone saw it, but the ultimate proof is that God is still doing a resurrecting work in people's lives today. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave is still working in the lives of people. People you know, people I know. I'm gonna close in just a few moments, but before I do, I've asked some members of Triumph to come and share their story about what God has done in their life. raised in church but straight away from God in my late teens. I was consumed by the world and was lost. In 1991 I found myself in Saudi Arabia still lost and searching for something to grab onto. 
I thought I had found a straight path to God, but after over 20 years in Islam, I discovered I was lost, empty, angry with God, the world, and the people in it. In 2014, after a family tragedy, my wife suggested I attend church with her. I agreed and went with her, albeit as a skeptic. As I listened to the words of the songs during worship, I finally broke down and cried for the first time in years. I felt a wave of love sweep into me, and I felt my heart filling. I gave myself to God right then and there and accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. And I All your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new now. Life begins with It's your Now we're free, free, forever we're free. Come join the song of all the Yes, we're free, free, forever and ever. When death was arrested, we're free, we're free, 
seat for just one moment. I'm closing now. These stories, they mean so much to me. I know, I know their stories. I know these people. And God has done amazing things in their life, and he wants to do amazing things in your life too. Whatever your story coming in today, Sunday's here. Wherever you were in the step-by-step process, Sunday is here. Peter wrote these words, you love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting in him will be the salvation of your souls. My question to you today is, wherever you are, whoever you are watching online, what are you going to do with the resurrection? What will you do with Jesus? We all have to answer the question. I'm going to ask every person in the room to close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment. If you're watching on the line, please do the same. Just listen to the sound of my voice and let me ask you this question. Do you believe that Jesus was really resurrected from the dead? Because if you do, then he came to forgive you of all of your sins, turn your life around, and give to you every promise and every benefit that he said accompanies the salvation that he came to die for. But have you been living your life trusting in him as your savior? Or do you need a fresh start with Jesus today to say, I I I wanna be the guy that begins believing and living for you. I wanna receive your forgiveness and your salvation for all of eternity. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? I want to pray for you. Just slip your hand up. I see hands going up all over this room. More hands going up, more hands going up. If you're at home, raise your hand, raise your hand. I see them, I see them, I see them. Thank you, thank you. You can put your hands down. Now let me ask you to repeat this prayer after me. Everyone, both here and at home, everyone, whether you raise your hands or not, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me. I love you and I praise you. Forgive me of all of my sins. I want to live for you. I want the new life that you promised me. Jesus, be my Lord and my Savior forever. Amen.